Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Good to be with you, Ashley, and happy Thanksgiving to you and to the listeners. Yes, it's not Thanksgiving yet when we're recording this, but shouldn't every day be a day You should certainly be grateful. Yes, uh, that was way too cheesy. Um, but we're, we're uh, skipping SOTs and As One Friend Speaks to Another this week, but we did want to share an amazing interview that we had uh, about a month ago now. Yes, so we talked with Monsignor Gregory Ramkissoon, who started this amazing nonprofit called Mustard Seed that is... Basically, their mission is to take the people who are the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable. So these are people with severe disabilities in the developing world where they're unable to get the support and care and education that they need. And so mustard seed communities take them in. And when they take them in, it's it's for life. Right. And, that, you know, this started out as sort of a, just a few dozen children in Jamaica. Um, but this is these communities have expanded to Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, Zimbabwe and Malawi. So it really is, you know, this sort of where where ministry is. I don't know. Oftentimes we don't do enough of this where we're talking to church ministries on the ground doing the work and mustard seed communities are definitely doing that. Yes. And Monsignor Ram Kassoon is actually a hilarious, <laughs> engaging, wonderful human being. So yeah. it's, it's, it might sound like a kind of sad, heavy interview. And we do talk about, you know, some really desperate situations, but he is he is just a delight to speak with. Yeah, he's a really funny guy. We also talked to him. He comes from uh, a family with a ton of different uh, religious experiences being brought to the table. So if that's something you're familiar with, we we get his take on that and what makes his family work, despite all of the all of the different uh, traditions being brought to the table. So stick around for this conversation. I think you're going to love it. Yeah. And Giving Tuesday is coming up. So if you want to support our friend Monsignor Gregory and his amazing ministry, you can check out mustardseed.com. Joining us in studio is Monsignor Gregory Ramkassoon. Monsignor Ramkassoon is the founder of Mustard Seed Communities and the Vicar General for the Archdiocese of Kingston, Jamaica. Welcome to Jesuitical. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. It is such a joy to have you here. Yeah, we, we just we just finished. We, we came from lunch and we decided we had to have you on the podcast. And so <laughs> we just enjoyed a nice lunch together, um, moving into studio. Uh, for people that haven't heard of Mustard Seed, and obviously it's an organization that has grown tremendously since you founded it. But maybe just say, like, what was that kernel 
that moment when that you knew that this work was going to start. Can you take us back there and sort of what your idea for the mission was? I was tutoring at the University of the West Indies, and next to the university is a huge common squatting area. And every time I was doing urban planning, and it's terrible urban planning across from a university to have no planning at all. And, you know, so many kids were hanging around. So many little babies have nothing to do, no work, nothing, crime, and so on. So that gave me a sense of guilt, really, to say, well, why aren't we helping some of these kids? And that's how we started. I borrowed $600 from someone whom I haven't paid back yet, by the way. (laughs) Will you ever pay them back? With interest. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, And we built a little mobile, sort of a temporary shed with wood. And because it's a squatting area, we weren't allowed to put permanent buildings there. And we used concrete blocks for seats and concrete blocks for benches, for desks. And then we put the kids there to have a little teaching moment, you know, a learning moment. And that is what gave me the sense that, my God, two blocks can bring a little education for these kids. You could imagine if we put more energy into it, what can these kids get? And then when we started doing that, a doctor at the university's hospital next door said, we have children with disabilities, many of them coming, and they're just... Their parents leave them on the hospital floor, and we don't know what to do with them. They've abandoned them. Yep, because they have all kinds of disabilities. Would you mind if we use your place um, to just at least put these children? And that made me think, my God, if a hospital can't take these kids and they're abandoned by their parents, then, you know, how can we be even human beings? I wasn't a priest or anything. So that's what started. And that's why I call it mustard seed, because it wasn't so biblically focused as it was formatively focused in the sense that you start very small with whatever you do. Well, you say you say small, but I can imagine being overwhelmed by just the idea of having to take care of one of these kids, because you're talking about severe disabilities in a way that they're never going to be self-sufficient. So when you're taking on this child, it's, it's you know, it, it, what it turned into is what you describe as womb to tomb. But from the beginning, did you realize that what that was what you were getting yourself into? Right. I, <laughs> I was always afraid of intellectualizing it too much. Yeah. <laughs> so what I decided, I'll, of, I will sacrifice the best for the good. In other words, my mind wasn't to do the best for them from the start. I said, look, let me just at least, my thing was just give them a place to sleep and some food. That's the good. That's not the best. So I sacrificed the best. And bit by bit, I said, you know what? They need more than food. They need physiotherapy. And they need this. And so, and then I'd allow others to come in and give ideas of, you see, because I Put a challenge for others so they can come and help with their skills. And that is how I arrange it in my life. Because if I had kept thinking I want to do the best, I probably would never make a move. So what does mustard seed look like today? Uh, how many how many children oh, are you yeah. taking care of? And- today in Jamaica alone, we have 500 kids with all sorts of disabilities, both with HIV, AIDS, pregnant, teen moms, all kinds of stuff. And then also we 
we have schools. We have three schools for about, I think it's 250 children who are in the community, but they have nowhere to go. They have no food to eat, but they do have a little rough house. That's in Jamaica. Then in uh, Zimbabwe, in Africa, we have about, I think it's four homes. We feed about a thousand kids on the dump, on the garbage every day. But these homes have residential children with disabilities. In Malawi, we started another home for that. And in Dominican Republic, we have what we call Christ in the garbage ministries. If Christ was on earth and he heard kids were in the garbage, he'd probably go there. Yeah. Right? He wouldn't go down in uh in Greenwich, Connecticut. He would probably go there. And this is what I thought. Where would Christ be if kids were in the garbage? So he thought Christ in the garbage ministries in Sosua and in Nicaragua, another few hundred on the garbage and in our homes. So it has spread, you know, in different places like that. If someone came to the to the community in, in Jamaica, what, what would they see? And and what kind of you know, you said you started with, you know, the good, but it sounds like you've gotten more of those mm. things that you yeah. didn't let paralyze you in the beginning. Right. Well, thank you for asking. What they would see now in any one of our homes, one, is enough caregivers per children. In other words, it's not like two or three young women were caregivers being exhausted by 30 kids. You know, we have a ratio of women, of, of caregivers to children, clean places, well-appointed places. I like to, I love animals and plants. So wherever the kids are, because they can't move too much, we have little parrots, little birds, little ducks, and they have plants growing around them so they can see these things. So at the moment, I would say that all our homes are, have the capacity to improve the quality of life for these children. So it's no longer maintenance. It is trying to make them better people all around. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier uh, off off mic the impact that um, kids from the United States have when they when they visit Mustard Seed on mission trips. How, uh, roughly how many mission trips are, are coming to Mustard Seed every year? Okay. Before COVID, in Jamaica sure. alone, uh, not including Nicaragua and Dominica, we had about 100 or 120 mission trips. Each being twenty kids and a supervisor. So a lot. So a lot. And a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's been some pushback uh, here in the United States with the idea of short-term mission trips, and that you know how much good does it really accomplish if a rich kid from uh, the United States goes for goes to Jamaica for a week, takes some pictures for social media, and then goes home and you know. Does anything really change? Sure. What's your What's your opinion on that? Because you, it seems like you still find these trips very impactful and meaningful. All right. So we we discussed these things earlier on in when we were planning with these mission trips. And the first thing is we found that the kids who want to come down, we give them work to do in in America before they come. So they have they raise some funds to help mustard seed on the whole. We want pampers and vitamins. So we give them a list of things that they must beg for and pack in their suitcase and come bring it for the kids, number one, and give it to themselves themselves to the kids. Number two, we also want them, not that their parents just sign a check and give them. We say, no, please get about 20 of your friends to donate this trip to you. So you pay for your own room and board, you pay for your airfare, and you still have some money to give it to the project. 
So, okay, so that means they put about six months of work into planning for this trip. When they come down now, what we find is that we don't just let them walk around. There are planned activities for them to do. So they're challenged to say, okay, let's fix this wall or let's get a few beds fixed up for these. So what they're doing, they're constantly doing something for one child or for a group of children. Why is that? Because we want them to build a relationship. So they're constantly being with these children in the morning. They may go to prayer with them or they sing with them or they do, you know, story time with them but even the bed they're building for them they're constantly referring to the child as the future user of this bed so relationship for us is more important than just bringing some pampers for the child mm. can you tell a story of of one kid or a couple of kids american kids who've come um and the the impact they've had on the community and the impact their trip has had on them as they when they came back to the united states oh absolutely and this has happened many times. What happens is some kids will come down and they, you know, they, 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 they don't know how to, they have never been in a situation like this, so you can't blame them. But we had a kid who came down and we had a, a little child multiply um, physically destroyed, I would say, because the child was beaten and then this kind of thing. Well, this little kid who came down in a group I think she would probably be about 16. She came with a, a teenage group. And she started befriending this little child, just teaching her how to stretch her hand. You know, not professional physiotherapy, but just and working with our physiotherapist to hold the child up to. And this happened. We, we noticed this was the only child this young woman was going to every day. She will even miss her own meals to go and to be with this kid. And we found out after that this young woman, who I think she was from the Midwest, she was going to be studying law as, as a, when she was applying to university. And she f f spent all her time with this child. When she went home to the United States, one month after, her mom wrote to us and said, you know what? I wouldn't call her real name, but little Jenny surprised all of us. She wants to do physiotherapy <laughs> as her major. I said, my God. Then, now this is a few years ago, would you believe little Jenny, who is now graduate Jenny, came back and gave us one month of her time in professional physiotherapy. And this has happened many times. Even some young kid becoming an uh, aspirant to the priesthood, although they were going into some business or something otherwise. And this is something that we love to have because it's the rejected stone becoming the cornerstone in one's life to allow change to take place. How do you see faith being sort of a critical part to the work that, that, that you've done personally, maybe, um, before focusing on mustard seed? Um, where has that really inspired you and driven you? You mentioned when you started this, you weren't a priest yet. Mm -hmm. All right. First of all, my first part of my life was really not even as a Christian, not even a Catholic, nothing. It was like Eastern, you know, Hinduism. Om Swaha Om. It was all that and no meat and all kinds of stuff, you know. And then going to a Catholic school, then I was encouraged by teaching to become a Catholic. So having become a Catholic and see how the Catholic Church 
they were involved, the Catholic Church was involved in in sort of silent meditation in front of, you know, the Blessed Sacrament, they were involved in helping the poor, all that kind of stuff. Although I didn't think of becoming a priest then, I was encouraged by those kind of activities and my Catholic friends. We used, with the Legion of Mary, we used to go in different communities, non-Catholic, non-Christian communities, and just talk to them about how are they doing, in other words, forming relationships. And I have found, once you, once I got to know these children on Mona Common, that's the name of the place, that had no hands, no feet, or the little school children who had no school or no books, I could not see myself going home at night and enjoying my university research and studies, although I had to do that, and saying, okay, the heck with these children. That relationship, when you pass and the kids just saying hi, that encouraged me not just to help, but to find a reason for helping. So finding a reason is where the faith came in. My God, wow, why did God come here? Look, he wants us to help. Not I'm no saint or anything, but at the same time, the reason is, yeah, he said, love one another as I have loved you. Why the heck am I going to leave these kids now? Is love temporary or is love permanent? So I got to learn that instead of saying God is love, I like to feel that love is God. Wherever you have love being shown, God is present. And kids, wherever you have kids, love is present. Whether you realize it or not. So God is present. And if God is present, we can't just leave everything and go look for God. <laughs> we are looking for what's already here. What we have to do is not looking for God, but recognizing God. Yeah. And so you you became a priest. Yes. How did how did that realization affect your priesthood from from day one? Because it says that you like kind of knew that you didn't want to work in a parish, like traditionally. You're you're absolutely right. Because I found what I knew of traditional parishes. Yeah, the priest is up here somewhere. There's a whole layer of hierarchical stuff, parish comes, da 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 everything until you reach the real need. We're at the bottom, which a priest probably gets experienced firsthand once a year. I don't know. I'm not saying this. But what encouraged me was that oh when you, because I was an urban planner, geographer, you study world, I was also doing economics. So you're into economics and development and all this kind of, oh my God, these kids, they are not just these kids, they're all over the place. How could I, as a priest, I wanted to, to say, look, I want to be constantly part of this, but I also want to show others how to be sustainable. So it comes now providing jobs for people. But not me providing it, training them. You know, there's an old saying, you teach someone to fish is better than giving a fish, you know. So train them to help them sustain themselves. That kept my priesthood at, at, at a certain kind of authenticity. And I said, you know what? I can't do parish priest work. I just have to do the work. And the Lord puts everything in front of you. You don't have to go and look for the poor. <laughs> the poor is in front of you. You don't have to look for God. The God is there. And you put those two things together and solutions will come. I feel like when Catholics think about, you know, Jesus saying, let the children come to me, what it amounts to is like really cute paintings of Jesus and children. And there's not really serious thought about why he said that and what it means. I'm wondering if you could talk about what, what you think Jesus really meant by that. Yes. And I think that, and he said it 
in a time when the children were causing a little bit of disarray. You know, stop bothering the Savior and so on. Ah, what happened is, they're not the cute little kids that we should be looking for. They are cute in the sense of no sin. So they're spiritually cute, <laughs> but they could get in the way of all kinds of stuff. They're pretty uh, agents of chaos. Uh, agent, a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but, needy. Yeah, right. Because what Christ, I think, is telling us, hey, all of that is the external. Find the child inside there. Like the person with disability, all of that is external. You don't just leave that person there. No, no. Find me, the Christ inside it. I think it's a marvelous thing that he wanted us to see the children not as agents of confusion, but agents to give us access to a real person and to real love. Abandonment. Ah, How do we abandon, not the children abandon themselves, but how can I abandon my own goals and wishes to serve a child? I feel like Jesus is a fundamental part of his ministry is healing people, yes. like physically being in touch sure, with them. Sure. Um, but sometimes those stories, at least to me, they feel very distant because I don't have the power of Jesus, right? Like I cannot perform miracles. Oh, sure, yeah. uh, at least I have not, I've not been successful yet. Um, <laughs> oh, you tried. I've, yes. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the water and the wine one Whoa, many yeah, times, okay. yes. All right. Um, what, what, like, what spiritual lessons can like an everyday Catholic like draw from this thing that uh, is clearly very important to Jesus, right? Actually walking around, connecting with people, healing their healing their ailments when we maybe can't heal, like if, especially if we're not medical professionals. Okay. So I think we have to know there are levels of healing and there are different kinds of healing, physical, psychological, social, spiritual. Ah, when I go around and I, let's say I see somebody in a dark place, if I could smile with a person or if I could, because that person's soul or spirit may be so hurt that they are thinking of suicide. Right now, England has appointed a woman to be a minister of loneliness. So the ill that you see around us is not just physical and therefore I can't heal it. Ah, it is also internal and spiritual and psychological. So all of us have a gift of healing, sometimes with a smile, sometimes with, hey, thank you, hey, you want some water? And this kind of thing Christ is trying to do, to tell us, yeah, try it at any level. So there's all different kinds of healing that we are probably doing every day without even knowing it. And re by the way, receiving every day without knowing it. When we go somewhere in the street, if we are feeling down and some nice thing happens out there, we are lifted. But sometimes we don't realize it as that is a miracle that's taken place from God using others every day. Well, you say we don't have to, we don't, it's not us doing it, but you do a lot. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so it seems very much like your faith is not it, you know, it's a it's not an abstract thing. It's not a purely spiritual thing. It's it's a it's a physical thing. Yes, because I like to say I tell my people all the time, what the heart loves, the head must do, must think about. What the head thinks about, the tongue must speak about. What the tongue speaks about, the hand must do. It's a whole coordinated route 
of our existence, but it must come from love, where God is. Love is a center, it's a beginning, but it's also the end. And I like to tell people, for instance, COVID, you know what COVID means for me? Christ offers victory in disaster. And I'll put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> you should trademark that. That's going to yeah. be pretty good for it. Yeah. Christ offers victory in disaster. You know, and we don't, in our lives too, we all, we even had COVID before it came. We all, Christ is offering his victory all the time. In whatever darkness we go through, sometimes we don't accept it. And this is what causes a barrier in getting healed when we don't accept it. And that's where faith comes in. God, I am here. Do with me what thou wilt. And it doesn't matter what you, a uh, priest, a professor, a garbage cleaner, Broadcaster, hopefully. A broadcaster. <laughs> yeah. A yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You used the phrase earlier um, during our lunch that was uh, a theology of hands and feet. Uh, yes. And you were kind of saying that disparaging some maybe esoteric things. Could you explain what you mean by yes. that? What I mean by that is that we tend to think that passing on the love of God, we normally think it's passing on theology. The love of God is shown not by how many words we use and by quoting Carl Rana and, <laughs> and Carl Gustav Jung from wherever. Wow. The love of God is shown by the use of our hands and our feet. We are Christ's hands and we are Christ's feet. If we want to be, but we could decide we don't want to be. And that is where the love of God wouldn't be showing. But however, even with that, if we just say, look, I'm not going to use anything today, and just allow Christ to move you. So the faith is built not upon words, but the faith is built upon relationship. What does that look like in mustard seed community? So you're not proselytizing. You don't have to be Catholic to work there, to visit there, to be there. But but how does what is the effect of that hand and feet theology in the community? All right. So what happens is these days, as you know, when Coca-Cola advertises 50 million times what they wanted to do, they wanted to get it in subliminally so that when you think, th when you are thirsty, you don't think water, you think Coke. Duh. Right? <laughs> That's the subliminal seduction, it's called. Yeah. Uh -huh. All right. Hands and feet and continue doing the same thing all the time is exactly that. When you move, so many times, or when you sit and just, ah, ah, subliminally, the faith, the presence of God, you are allowing it to come in. So when you think loneliness, you don't think, oh my God, I feel, no, I could help someone. When you think dejection, no, I'll go to that child and help the child. And that is a kind of thing. To me, that action and faith comes first and then comes the feeling of the presence of Jesus. And that's why I think the presence of Jesus most radically is in the form of bread and wine in the Blessed Sacrament. It's the most radical presence of spirit in the world. Hands and feet, bread and wine. I wonder if I could maybe pick your brain a little bit about something uh, sure. off the wall. Sure. Um, it, your bio says that you are, you're one of 13 children. 
And Thank they, God. A baker's dozen. <laughs> a baker's dozen. <laughs> and so you've got a really big family and you've got family members practicing a wide variety of faiths. Um, I think that's becoming more, more and more common in the world. Um, what are what lessons, how, how does your family, maybe that, that aren't Catholic, like see your ministry as a, as a Catholic priest? And how do you, do you have any lessons for maybe young people who have uh, families of mixed faith backgrounds? The, the joy of that because they were mixed faith background and growing up in a family, you couldn't say this is better than that because we're all mixed faith. You see, so you could say, so I will attend my sister's whatever, Hindu rites. When, after I became a priest, to have a prayer meeting in a Hindu home, you have to fast for X amount of days, like weeks. You have to not eat anything to do with meat and so on. So to be present at the house, I had to do it. Had nothing to do with the Catholic faith. When they had to come to Mass with me sometimes, they know very well that they couldn't do certain things before Mass. You know, like, although they're not receiving communion, we weren't allowed to eat anything, you see. Or they had to dress a certain way. All right. So what happened is, what we got, we learned how to be compromising on both ways. Accidental things, you know, like dressing and so on. But also, how do I compromise with what I believe in, all right? If you don't understand it and you don't accept it, let me enjoy it in doing it. And I have found that in our family, the Hindu, Muslims, Christians, and so on, even none, nobody, that accepting a person as they are and allowing that person to find that depth within themselves, whatever it is, is one of the best ways to allow everyone to grow. My father didn't like me becoming a priest. My mom didn't like me. In fact, they had girls already for me to interview. To, yeah. <laughs> and look at you now, getting and interviewed by now. a girl. I know a girl is interviewing me. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes totally opposite. Yes. Yeah. So the point, the, the thing is, you see, what it taught me, though, is, hey, you really want to do this? Let outside help you grow in it not to weaken it. It's like mustard seed. You really want to help these kids? Let all the skills, everybody outside, help you to grow. Hence, these kids coming from America. Don't let it pull you away. And that philosophy, if you focus on what you want to do, let everything around make it so it could help you grow rather than help you go a downward spiral. And that's what helped me. All right, before we let you go, uh, you are such a good storyteller, we've learned over the last two hours. And so I'm wondering if you could tell you know, one short story that kind of gets to the heart of what mustard seed is that you would want to leave with people who are listening to this. All right, sure. I would like to just tell you, um, we had a, a, a problem. It, we had a huge fire. We have had a couple of fires in mustard seed way back. And... We had a huge fire at one of our places, a place that we started in 1978. Just one building remains now. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the fire, thank God, the community around pulled out the children who were disabled and so in the, uh, well, I said, my God, and this is what I meant by focus. What am I going to do? I have to forget about this whole thing. But would you believe, out of nowhere, this is the truth. Out of nowhere, I got a call from a visitor from America holidaying in Jamaica, and he was a well-known person. 
head of a huge charity called United Way here, visiting. They were watching on TV. His little child, I don't know, 10 years old, saw this fire and kids. And she said, Daddy, look at those kids. Her daddy called the newspaper, got my name and so on, and said, Father, we'd like to help you. This was 1986. How can I help you? I said, I have nowhere to go. I don't know any, I, I don't know what to do. And I really was dejected and tempted and everything. He said, a bearer is going to you to come into your place tomorrow. I didn't even have an office, you know. And there was a little old piece of land I was squatting in the other part of the city. He sent me, I think it was 38,000 US dollars. In 1986, that could be like a million. And he bought the property for me, which is now the headquarters of Mustard International. Yeah. Monsignor Gregory, yes. Uh, thank you so much for spending time with us today and for all that you're doing in, in the world. We have one final question for you, and we ask this for everyone who comes on the show. Uh, if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, uh, fictional or real, who would it be and why? I would say. The person I would put as that person you ask about is a little old lady whom I knew who was living in a squatting area. And when she heard what happened to us after the fire, she had nothing, but she was always helping me. She couldn't even speak properly. She came, she left everything except the clothes she was wearing. She left it at our place. And on top of that, until the day she died, she, she lived about, about 30 years after that. That woman gave everything without wanting one thing from us, not even food. She went and begged for her own food. And that lady, I see, is somebody I would like to follow to make it back to my birthplace, which is not with the 13 other wackos. <laughs> it's with <laughs> the Lord. Amen to thank that. Thank you, guys. Very yeah, good. Thank People you are so doing much. a wonderful job, and I want to thank you guys. For oh, no, no, thank you. Oh, my God. So we will, people, if you haven't been convinced, please check out Mustard Seed. Uh, what's the best thing someone listening can do to support your work right now? Okay. Write a check. Yeah. Write okay. a check. Yes. Okay. And so not go, in Jamaican dollars, in US in dollars. In US dollars. <laughs> go to Mustard Seeds website and donate yeah, there. That'll be helpful. Thank you. Amazing. All awesome. Right. Thank you so much, Monsignor. Hey, Gregory. keep up the good work. You have such sensitivity in you. Yeah. You do a good job. This was wonderful. Thank you so Thank much. You very much. Bless you. <laughs> to find out more about our friend Monsignor Gregory Ram Kassoon's ministry with Mustard Seed and to support their amazing work to make sure no child is abandoned twice, check out mustardseed.com. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Kira Hanlon. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. 
Jesuitical is a production of American Media and is recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.